You'll see what I'm drinking this morning. You might see it on the screen. You might think this is a cup of coffee, but it's a cup of community. It's a cup of community. Starbucks, their, their marketing objective, it's two words, create community. Their marketing strategy, how they accomplish their goal, to create a Starbucks experience that makes people come for the coffee, stay for the environment, and return for the community. Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, has gone on record and said, we don't sell coffee, we sell community. Starbucks gets it. They, they get it. They understand that people want community. They get the fact that people are longing for community. And friends, we're buying it. Starbucks in 2010 had profits over $11 billion dollars. And I don't think it's because the coffee's the greatest in the world. It's pretty good. I think it's because they're using coffee to promote community. They know. They know. If you're following in your notes, we are a people that crave community. We're a people that crave community. And this idea of community is so important for us today because we live in such an individualistic society. In fact, the Gallup polls, one of the leading poll services in America, has taken surveys and they've come to the conclusion that I quote, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. They go on to say that loneliness is an epidemic among men. They say 90% of men don't have one true friend that they can talk to. Think about that statement. 90% of the men in this room don't have one true friend that they can talk to and be honest with. How can that possibly be? We live in such a busy society where we work with a lot of people. We go to the gym with a lot of people. We shop with a lot of people. We go to ball games with a lot of people. We go to church with a lot of people. Having access to people isn't the issue. We're acquainted with many people, but we're truly known and we know very few deeply. We are a people craving relationships and in the midst of this crowded existence that we live, many of us are living lonely lives. As a church, we've been talking about declaring war on shallow Christianity for nearly two years. And we're in a four-week series beginning this year called Declaring War with These Four. You can see the graphic on the screen. As leaders, if we could choose four things and ask you to commit yourself to these four things in 2012, this is what they were. It's abide in Christ. Steve taught on this on January 1st. Can we abide in Christ this year? Can we rest in who he is and what he's done for us on the cross in his son Jesus? Can we abide and love the Lord? Last week, Jeff talked about stewardship. Can we get to a place where we say, God, you own it all. My money, my time, my body. We want to be good stewards. Today, we're talking about being part of a community. And next week, Jeff will wrap this up by looking at serving. We believe if you commit yourself to these four practices, you'll grow in Christ this year. And you'll be at war against shallow Christianity. But to be totally transparent and let you know where we're going today, our hope for you, 
Our desire in talking about community is that you will get involved in a smaller group of people, a smaller community where you can know other people and be known, where you can grow in Christ, where you can declare war on shallow Christianity and be held accountable to grow into maturity in Christ. And the reason this is one of our desires, the reason it's one of these four is because you were created for community. You were created for it. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis? The first book in the Bible, page one. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there are red Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. You can take one of those. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. That is our gift. We want everybody to have God's word. Genesis 1. Now, as we turn there, I just want to talk to you about who God is briefly, because this is so important in us getting the idea of community and the importance of community. We believe in one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call this the Trinity. If you're following in your notes, before the world was created, our God existed in perfect community. As three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this in the Bible. In Genesis 1, verses 1 to 2, on the screen we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And read this with me. And the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. If we flip over to John Chapter 1, verse 1 in the New Testament, we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. The Word is Jesus Christ, and He was with God in the beginning and made the world. Before the world was created, our God existed in perfect community Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I know this Trinity is, is, idea is hard to understand. I don't think we're fully supposed to understand it. But it is vitally important in helping us understand community because it tells us that God himself has been experiencing community throughout eternity. So we're told in Genesis chapter 1, God goes on to create the heavens and the earth and everything on the earth. And in verse 26, we read these amazing words. Would you read them with me in the first box on your message notes this morning? It says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Singular God says, Let us create man in our image. The perfect community of the Trinity and what I want you to see if you're following on your notes is just as God exists in community, we were created for community. We were created for community because we were created in the image of God. The need for community is part of our genetic makeup. God is a relational being and he created his prized, his prized creations, you and me, with a need for significant relationships and community. And if you're following in your notes, we were created to be in relationship with him and others. 
We were created to be in relationship with him and others. And without that community, this is so important, without that community, we don't reflect the image of the one who created us. I want to stop here for just a minute, take a time out. I don't want to gloss over this because this is so hugely important. If you are here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I am so thankful that you're here. I'm thankful you're trying to figure out who this Jesus is and if he's even relevant to your life and what you want to do with him. I'm thankful for that. I don't believe it's an accident you're here. I believe God has you here because he wants to speak to you and this may be what he wants to say. You were created. You exist. The purpose of your life is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not what we can attain or what we can earn or the good things we do. The purpose of our life is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of us, this is a universal truth, everyone sitting in this room has shoved our fist in God's face and said, we don't need you, God. I'll try this out on my own. And to be brought back into a community with God, Jesus left the perfect community of the Trinity and paid a staggering cost on the cross so that we could be in fellowship with him. You were created, and you exist to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe and the one who created you. That may be all you're here to hear this morning. That may be it. But I want you to know that God loves you, and he wants to be in community with you. We've said this before around here, but I believe we're all created with this God-shaped void in our life. And we've all tried to fill it with everything and anything else. It might be material possessions, it might be money, it might be drugs, it might be sex. We try to fill this longing, and we all have this longing for something more that can only be satisfied when we're fully satisfied in God. We have this God-shaped void, we call it. I think we have another void in our life, and I think we have a human-shaped void. Let me explain what I mean by that. We're told in chapter 1 of Genesis that this Trinitarian God who lives in perfect community creates the world and he creates everything in it. And then we get to chapter 2 of Genesis and we get a little bit more in-depth view of creation. And we're told that this is what God said after he made Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Would you read it with me in in the second grade box on your notes? It says, Then the Lord God said... It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This verse is often used at marriages, and it is, it is perfect to describe the fulfillment of a marriage relationship, but it is bigger than that. It's a radical comment on the fundamental importance of human relationships and community. Catch this. This sin doesn't enter the world until we read about it in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And this should strike us because up to this point, everything God had made was good. Sin was not in the world. Adam lived in perfect relationship with God. Perfect community with his creator. He is without sin, yet something's still missing. And the word God uses to describe what is missing is alone. And God says this aloneness is not good. You're following in your notes. Living life alone is not how God created us to live. It's not how God created us to live. We were never meant 
to live in isolation, not being known or knowing others deeply. Listen, we all have different relational needs. Some are extroverts, some are introverts, but none of us were meant to do life alone. We were created to do life in community with God and others. There's even, pra- get, get away from the theology for a minute. There's some really practical implications in doing life with other people. You saw some of them on the screen this morning. It says that people that do life in deep, meaningful community, as opposed to people who live life alone, are in general healthier. They're just plain happier. They get sick less often. There, there's practical benefits. One author says this. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than eat broccoli alone. John Ortberg writes this he's a pastor in California he says I have never known anyone who was isolated lonely unconnected with no deep relationships yet they had a meaningful and joy filled life yet that is how many of us have chosen to live From God's perspective, friends, living life alone is not good because we were not created to live life alone. We were created for community. So we know that, right? I mean, we we see that in God's word. But what does that really look like practically? Because Starbucks is selling us community. So what does the Bible have to say that real community is? And, And what does it look like? And I'm so thankful the Bible gives us a beautiful description of this in the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you'd flip over to Acts, it's in the New Testament. It's the fourth, fifth book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you're following in a red Bible, it's page 772. This is a picture of the early church. The leaders of the early church were the 12 disciples of Jesus minus Judas. They had followed Jesus around and lived life in a small group with him for three years. They had heard his teaching about loving one another, the importance of unity and oneness. And just 10 days before the story we're going to look at, Jesus left this earth and ascended into heaven. The story takes place on a day called Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to every believer that still happens today. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Christ lives in you. That was the day this took place. Peter, the leader of the disciples, had stood up and given a message on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and 3,000 people were baptized in one day. Their church grew from 120 people to 3,120 in an afternoon. And this is the picture of how those 3,120 people did community together. You can follow along in your Bibles. It's also going to be on the screen, but let me read this to us this morning. This is a picture of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me make just a couple observations and comments about the value of community that we see in the Bible and how this might relate to us today as a growing church. The first observation is they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And when the Bible uses that word fellowship, it's much deeper than what we consider today. We talked about this in the book of Philippians, but what we see is that fellowship isn't just hanging out together. It's not just watching a football game together. It's not just having a potluck down the hall. It's not going to Starbucks for a cup of coffee. It's not Facebook, right? I mean, you guys know Facebook's not real community. It's not real relationships. You can be anybody you want. It's not real. And I have a Facebook account. But it's not real community. Fellowship, according to the Bible, koinonia. If you're following in your notes, fellowship is a partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ where I am your brother and you are my sister and I'm accountable to you and you are accountable to me. And in in this description of the early church, we see what their fellowship consisted of. Their partnership consisted of studying God's word together, opening the Bible together. Praying together, eating together, worshiping together, being incredibly generous with one another. And listen, I think they had fun together. I think they hung out and they went to the drive-in and I think they went to Starbucks and they did all those things. They had, they had fun. But it was rooted and they had this common cause of a partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they committed themselves They continually devoted themselves to this fellowship where they were becoming disciples so that more and more people could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're told that's exactly what happened in this community. In Acts 2, verse 47, we we read this. This is the outcome of this community. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They devoted themselves to a partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first mark of community. Second observation, if you're following in your notes, they met in big groups and small groups. They met in big groups and small groups. Would you read the third box on your notes with me? It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They met daily. They were committed to one another. They worshipped corporately. We're told that. All 3,000 of them got together, and they worshipped corporately, but they also broke into smaller groups. Maybe if anything I studied this week, this this resonated with me, and this has convicted me and, and the group that I'm part of. There is such value in meeting together on a Sunday morning like this where we proclaim the greatness of God and encourage one another and challenge one another. There is tremendous value. It's one of the best things I get to be part of each week. I love it. My passion is the local church. But if you're following in your notes, small groups is where they could be sincere without wax. And that's what I mean, the the word wax, W-A-X without wax. 
You could also write where you wrote without wax. You could write undisguised. Undisguised. Sincere means undisguised or without wax. And in ancient days, if something was dented or it had a gash in it or it had a hole in it, they would, the merchants would fill it with wax and then they'd cover it with a coat of paint and sell the item as though it were undamaged. And what this is telling us about this early church and what it tells us about ourselves, if we're going to be sincere... It means we're without wax. We're going to allow people to see the real us with all our dings and all our damage and all our brokenness. And that's just hard to do with 3,000 people. The early church met in homes, they studied God's word, and they got real with each other. And it led to a community of brothers and sisters who grew into mature followers of Jesus who went out and told more and more people about Jesus. It sounds just like our mission. That's my hope. Just like in the early church, the gathering that takes place in this room, the example we see, is not the best place for community to happen. Yes, we are a community, but it's not the best place for community to happen. You can come to services and you can stay completely anonymous. You can come to services and leave and never apply any of God's word to your life. And I'm not naive, that can still happen in groups, but it's much harder to happen in groups. It's really hard to be anonymous in groups. And if somebody in your group asks you, hey, Brian, how are you applying the Bible to your life with what Jeff or Steve taught this week? You're being held accountable. You're either going to say, well, I'm not paying attention at all, or, man, it's really doing a number on me. But you're accountable to them, and they're accountable to you, and you're doing life together, and it's this partnership in the gospel So based on who we're created to be and the example we see in the Bible, we simply don't think you can grow into a fully mature follower of Christ on your own. You cannot become the person God created you to be on your own. And I hope community happens in your marriages and in your families. That is our prayer. We want to see that happen. But as a church who provides opportunities for community... If you're following in your notes, we believe the best place for community to happen is in groups, in smaller community. The best place to become mature disciples, the best place to learn to love one another and care for one another, the best place to do life together is in smaller groups of people. Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, says rows, uh, circles are better than rows. Circles are better than rows. You looking at each other is better than you looking at me. Circles are better than rows because it's where we can take off the mask and be without wax and get real with each other and hold each other accountable and grow. We believe in groups. And our hope for you, our desire for you is to get into a group so you can grow into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We've declared war on shallow Christianity for almost two years now. We've we've said that over and over again. We're declaring war on shallow Christianity, and we've used that language intentionally because living the Christian life is a battle, and nobody goes into battle alone. You might say, well, snipers operate on their own. Actually, they don't. They always go with another person called a spotter who helps gauge their distance and wind and other environmental factors. Nobody goes into battle alone. And the Christian life was not meant to be lived 
alone. And that's the reason two years ago we started groups here. We believe life is developed and a maturity with Christ is developed in smaller communities. And that shot through every age group in our church. Downstairs right now, there are children meeting in small groups talking about what Larry just preached on. I hope there's an adult with them and my six-year-old's not leading the conversation. But I, I, love, I love the fact that they're getting in small groups. Pastor Lee on Sunday nights, after he teaches, breaks the senior high into small groups. On Wednesday nights, he breaks the junior high into small groups. There's adult groups that meet every single night of the week. There's groups that meet during the week. The mom's group meets on Wednesdays. There's Friday morning Bible studies. There's smaller groups of people where you can get plugged in. We believe in groups. And over the past two years, we have not always got this right. There's been some groups that they haven't been that great. But I hear stories. I hear stories like a, a family who was having surgery up at the Mayo Clinic in Minneapolis and some of their group members drove up there to sit with them. I, I go on hospital visits and somebody says to me, well, somebody from my group's already been here and they're bringing meals this week too. We went, I hear groups that go on vacation together. I hear groups that have served together that have comforted one another during a time of broken relationships. They've studied the Sermon on the Mount and the Gospel of Matthew together. They've studied the book of James together. They've studied the book of Philippians together. And I hear people say, I've never been challenged like I have been the past couple of years. We believe in groups. Can I just tell you about my group for a couple minutes? Sarah and I decided to, to start a group a couple of years ago, and we had open registration. We didn't really know anybody that signed up. We knew some names, but I wouldn't have considered any of them good friends at that point. Two years later, after getting together for two years, man, I love these people. I love them. I love their kids. I want to see them succeed. I want to see them grow up in Christ. I love hanging out with them. We meet once a week to study God's word together and apply it to our lives. We gather together outside of our meeting times for dinners and nights just to hang out. We, we get together for kids' birthday parties. We've walked through the death of a parent together. We have celebrated the birth of new babies together. Some of us took a challenge this year to read the Bible in a year together. 32 of us got together at our house to celebrate Thanksgiving this past year. It took me till Christmas to recover from that. <laughs> 17 kids in one house. It was like a jet airliner. <laughs> a guy in our group texts me messages once a week or a couple times a month and said, man, I just read this scripture. Uh, read it. I just challenge you to read it. He's holding me accountable, and I hope I'm holding them accountable. But I love my group. And a picture I want to share with you that I love seeing every Tuesday night, I love seeing my, seeing my six-year-old run into the building because he's excited to get downstairs and be with his friends. I love that. I love that Ben asks me during the week if it's life group night yet. I love that. Parents, can I say a word to you in this room? Model this for your children. Model the value of community for your children. If they see that it's important to you, it will be important to them. I pray for my sons. I pray that when they grow up, there will be peers that come alongside of them and adults that speak wisdom into their life because believe it or not, there, there will come a day when children don't listen to you. 
and I pray somebody else is there to give them wise counsel. That will not happen by living life on your own. Model it for your children. Model it. They'll catch it. They'll catch it. And here's the best thing I could say after getting together for two years. I'm a less shallow follower of Jesus than I was two years ago. And I couldn't have said that if I did life on my own. I thank my group for playing a major role in that. Our hope, our desire, the reason we're speaking on community is because we long for you to get into smaller communities where you can partner together in the gospel of Jesus Christ to grow into maturity. If you don't have that type of community in your life, I'd encourage you to sign up for a life group in the lobby today. If you take out the insert that was in your bulletins, we have a listing of groups with openings this session. And you can go to the lobby after this service or you can go home. All these registrations are done online. But I'd encourage you, our, our, our desire for you is to get into a smaller community. And let me say this as well. It doesn't have to be a community that is, quote, sanctioned by the church or that we put on. It's perfectly legal to go grab a few of your friends and get together and partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to let us know about it, that's great. We'll help you every way we can and train you. But you can do this. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to go and meet with other people and partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can do this. But as a church who wants to provide opportunities, let me tell you about a couple different types of groups we have here. The first is message-based. Most of our groups are message-based, which means as you gather each week, in addition to eating and hanging out and praying together, you'll be digging deeper into the message that was given the previous Sunday by one of the pastors. We'll be writing questions to accompany the message, and hopefully it will help you dig deeper into the teaching. Those groups are going to start the week of January 29th as we start a year-long study in the Gospel of John. You'll be studying the Gospel of John. You'll also notice on this sheet there's a couple groups that say married couples. We'll probably be adding some more of these, but we're introducing some new marriage groups that will study marriage curriculum. We want to build up marriages and strengthen marriages in this day and age where marriages are struggling. And so those groups are going to start in February, but know that there is marriage groups out there that will be studying marriage curriculum. You'll also see we're introducing some men's groups. Men only, they can get together. Maybe you can get out of that 90% statistic that doesn't have any true friends. A word to the men in this room, lead the way on this. Lead the way. Talk to your spouse after the service and see where you could get plugged in if you need to do a group with guys because you just need to talk to guys and it, you're just not comfortable with, with ladies in the group, that's great. But lead the way on this. You're the spiritual leaders of your family. Lead the way on this, guys. And finally, we need more leaders. We're going to fill up probably by the end of this weekend. All our groups will be full and people that want to get in groups just won't be able to get in groups. I believe there are people sitting in this room who are equipped and would make great leaders to facilitate and shepherd and encourage. And so if you have a Holy Spirit leading sitting in these seats today and you, you would be willing to do that, I'd love to talk to you and see if that might work. But we, we need more groups so we can keep gathering in smaller communities.
And that's because we believe the best place for community to happen is in small groups. Now, let me speak to a couple different groups of people this morning as you're sitting here processing this idea of community. The first group, you're already in a group and you're doing life with other people. Here's my challenge for you. Go deeper. Go deeper this year. Be without wax. Be undisguised and take the mask off and get real with one another. We're going to train leaders next weekend and and I'm going to challenge them to get more involved in the group members' lives. Shepherd them. Just check in with them. Email them. Text them. This is where I've been convicted in my group. I want to be without wax this winter. I'm going to go after that. After two years, I want to go deeper. So if you're already in a group, go deeper. Second group, you might be sitting here and you've been part of a really bad group experience in the past. It just outright stunk. And I've been there with you. I've been in some bad groups. And you're worried about getting into another bad group. And here's what I want to say to you. Don't abandon the value of community because you've been part of a bad group in the past. Listen, you've got a bad haircut before and you still get a haircut, right? I mean, you've all gone to bad doctors before and you still go to the doctor. You might have been part of a bad group experience before. Don't stop being part of community. Don't stop being part of community. The answer isn't to retreat into isolation. Try another group. Try another one. The third group, you're sitting here and you might be thinking, community's good. I understand the Bible says I should, I'm created to do life with other people. I have this description in the book of Acts. But for me, faith is a private thing. Faith is a private thing. And what I'd say to you this morning is that if you're a person sitting here saying my faith is a private thing, you have an unbiblical understanding of the word faith. Faith is a personal thing, but it is never a private thing. It is personal, but it is never private. You cannot grow into spiritual maturity by yourself. I'm not talking about salvation here. Hear that. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about growing in Christ. And if you want to live the life Christ wants for you, you cannot do it alone. You can't, if, if you're saying faith is a private thing, you'll never tell anybody about Christ. You'll, you'll never witness for Christ. And if our commission in the Bible is to become disciples who make disciples, we can't do either of those things alone. And here's the truth. Whatever group you're in, whether you're in a group and you need to go deeper, whether you've had a bad group experience and, and you just haven't given another try, or whether you're just sitting there and, and faith is a private thing, here's, here's what I want to say. It, it, it's a risk. Doing life in community with other people involves a risk. It's a risk to meet new people. It's a risk to get to know people face to face. It's a risk to talk to people about what's going on in your life instead of watching TV at home. It's a risk to pray together. It's a risk to learn how to live a more Christ-centered life. And here's what I'll say to you. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth the risk. So let me ask you, if you're following along in your notes, are you in a community where you are partnering with other people to become a fully mature follower of Jesus? Are you part of any community, anything smaller than this room, where you are partnering in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you can be without wax, 
where you can be undisguised and you get to know people and you can be truly known by people. It's one of the greatest desires we have for you as leaders this year. And it's our desire because it's what you were created for. Deep, meaningful community with God and deep, meaningful community with other people. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. God, when I think that the God of the universe who created everything, that you created us, and that you created us for community with you, that you want a relationship with us, and that you love us so much that when we went and damaged that relationship beyond repair, you pursued us and sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross and die a death we deserved so that that community could be restored. I will never get over that. I am so grateful and thankful that it's not up to me to earn it or do anything to deserve it, but that you gave it freely through grace. I am grateful that you want a relationship with us. And so, God, today I pray if there is anybody here who is not in that perfect community with you and relationship with you, would you work in their hearts? God, would you draw them close to yourself that they might be one step closer today than they were when they walked in this room about being in community with you? And God, I'm glad that you've given us this human-shaped void that we were made for others. And so I pray that our church would be a church that is known for community. It's a church that's known for loving one another. When people look at Cherry Hills, they'll say, those people love one another. I want what they have. And that more and more people will come to know you as Lord and Savior. And just like the book of Acts said, you added to our number daily. I long for that, God. So thank you that we get to gather corporately like this to proclaim your greatness and your goodness. And I pray as we go that we would gather in smaller communities where we can be without wax with one another. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.